and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, your host, and today I'm joined by our very own Mark Stiving, pragmatic marketing instructor, pricing expert, barbecue connoisseur, and all-around good guy. Hello, Mark, and thanks for joining us today. Hey, Rebecca, it's great to be here. Thanks. Now, Mark, you and I were talking recently, and you said something that really stuck with me. You said that one of the biggest mistakes people make is thinking that pricing is something that comes at the end of the product life cycle. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what you mean? Sure. You know, we we have a lot of people that come to our price class, and I'd say the single thing that they expect is how do I put a price on my product? And that's really important. Once you have a product, you want to know how you're going to price it, what's important. But you know, if you understand pricing early in the process, you build better products, you build better product portfolios. This whole concept of waiting until the very end and saying, let's put a price on it. How did you know to build a product that had more value if you didn't know how it was going to be priced when you started the process? So I I think this whole concept of pricing and understanding pricing should help people be able to build much better products, much better product portfolios. So you're saying that you should think we should think about pricing from the very beginning. Absolutely. It's not clear to me how you would ever do a project, spend money, R&D money, or maybe research, but not development. Why you would ever spend development dollars developing something if I didn't know I was going to get paid for it at the end. All right, so how does someone go out and start it before they even have a product? What kind of things should they do? Well, the first thing you have to do is understand where does price come from? Where, do we, where are we allowed to price? And we price based on how much somebody's willing to pay. And so the next question that comes up is, well, how do you know how much somebody's willing to pay? And there's really a, a basic concept that we teach in class. This is a really important pricing concept, and that's what, what we call will I and which one. Some products, people say, am I going to buy this? And then they just buy it. Most products, though, people first say, am I going to buy something in this product category? And then they go on to say, which one will I buy? Those are two very different decisions, and they're two very different product types that we get to build. Let's start with the which one, because most people think that they're in the which one space. Most people are in the which one space. And the way you know that is when you're when you're buyers are choosing to buy your product, are they choosing between you and a competitive product? And as long as that's the case, they're making a which one decision, which one am I going to go buy? And what you have to do is your products is build a product that's differentiated from your competition. Now, this should sound common or similar or, or be common sense to most product people that are building products today. We have to build differentiated products, but which features are you going to put on your products? The things that your competition doesn't have that solve really important market problems for your marketplace. Those are the things they're willing to pay for. The the harder the problem is you're solving, the more they're willing to pay you to solve that problem. And if your competition isn't doing it, then you get to charge a premium above, above your competitor's price in order to get that deal. So it's what features or options you have in your product that are going to make the which one be you that they pick. Yeah, so the which one be you at a higher price. That's the best part. You get to charge more if your product is better. Isn't that awesome? Yes, and then to that point, it wouldn't be just 
any new features. You can't just charge more because you have the most features, right? You've got to charge more because it's the features they want. Yes, and, and we figure that out by knowing what somebody willing to pay for. And once we know what they're willing to pay for, that's the set of features we're going to add to our product. Excellent. Okay, and then you mentioned Will I products. So what are those? Oh, Will I products are amazing products that don't have competition. Hmm. We can build Will I products in many different ways. Oftentimes, if we're the first mover in a new product category, we have a Will I product. When probably the most common space that people build Will I products is what we'll call an add-on or an option to a product. My favorite example of a Will I product is popcorn at the movie theater. You, you go to the movie theater, you pay your money to get in to see the movie, you made a decision on what theater, what movie, using a bunch of different criteria, but one thing you weren't thinking about is what's the price of popcorn. After you get into the movies, then you ask yourself, am I gonna take out a mortgage today to buy popcorn or not? That's a will-eyed decision. And, and that's why they get away with charging such high prices because people tend not to be price sensitive when they're making a will-eyed decision. Price isn't driving that decision, something else is. And, and so I guess the whole point, if I haven't made it clear yet, what we wanna do is figure out how do we build products that don't have competition because we get to charge more for them. Excellent. So then with the, the Will I products, what happens when companies think they have a Will I product? You know, those ones who go, oh, we don't have any, nobody does it like us, so we're very different. How do they know for sure it's a Will I versus just we think we're special? Well, they'll find out once they start selling it and the people decide that they're not so special. But probably the single best way is going out at win-loss analysis when you've won deals, when you've lost deals. Ask the question, who else did you consider? And if you're truly a will I product, they would have said, we didn't look at anybody else. Hmm. So in this case, though, when we're trying to do pricing before we build the product, right? So then what, what you want us to do is build differentiation. Is that what we're saying? And then using that, uh, because what we want to focus on is what we'll be able to charge more for later. So the differentiation piece is for the which one products. Okay. For the will I products, what I'm really saying is, let's see if either we can create brand new product categories so nobody is competing in the space, solve problems nobody else solves, or let's see if we could create add-ons, options to our current products, where once someone has bought one of our products, the only place they could go to buy the next, the, the option is from us, and therefore we get to sell that to them. Think razors and blades, think printers and ink. These are the ink and the blades. These are will I type product decisions that people are making. It doesn't have to be some brand new revolutionary anything. It just has to be something that people are only choosing to buy from us or not buying. We can also do the same thing in distribution channels. If we have the ability to lock up a distribution channel and people only come to us to look at that price or to look for that product, then in those cases, they're still making will I products. Okay, so then will I type products or add-ons and then also uh, differentiated product features for which ones are ones that we would give priority to in our roadmap? Absolutely. Excellent. All right, so what else, where else would we think about pricing early on in our, in our product life cycle? Well, we kind of implied this as we talked through the will I for a second, but there's a product portfolio issue that's going on. Mm. 
Which products are you going to choose to build? And good, better, best is a really important concept for companies to understand when creating product portfolios. Those are what we call versions. We could create different versions of our product for different willingnesses to pay. And so our goal, of course, is to try to see if we could build a product portfolio where people who are just scraping to get into the product category are still willing to buy from us. People who have a lot of money, so the price of this is not a big portion of their budget, they're probably going to pay us more so they'll buy the best thing we have. And then we have the one in the middle, which is where most people buy. Are there any good examples of good, better, best products that you can share? Wow, are there good examples of good, better, best? You may recall Sears used to have that as a tagline. They used to go around and saying good, better, best for everything. As you walk through the Sears store, I think they still do have good, better, best labeled on their shelves, which is pretty powerful. They just say, this is what this is how we're going to go do it. Most companies offer some versions of good, better, best. When you go to, well, okay, so here's the no-brainer. All smartphones are good, better, best. Now, I happen to be an Apple user, and so I can tell you all about the iPhone but every iPhone, iPad, iPod comes out with a low amount of memory, a middle amount of memory, and a high amount of memory. So there's a good, better, best there. That's great, Mark. So good, better, best, important parts of building up a full portfolio. What other pieces can we do to help make our portfolios more profitable? The part we talked about when we were discussing Will I products are the add-on type devices. Think of these as complements. These are the razors and the blades, the printers and the ink. What we should be thinking is now that we've captured a customer, because customer acquisition costs are usually really high, now that we've captured a customer, what more can we sell to that customer? What are the complements that we could offer? So we're building out a more complete solution. Oftentimes those customers, when they buy from us, they're making will I decisions, not which ones which means we get to charge higher prices for them. And even if they are making which one decisions, the fact that we're building or giving them a complete solution, things that work together, a single place to get support, they all tie nicely together. And we should be thinking, how do I get more money then from my current customer base or from the people who choose to buy our products? This is where we get those add-ons or the complementary type products. I like to think of McDonald's selling fries and sodas to go along with the, the double cheeseburger they sell at a dollar somewhere in that ballpark. But it's a great opportunity to make more money. Now, is there a danger that you just keep adding on and adding on and it maybe dilutes the overall flow or value? Absolutely. One of the things that we often talk about is that confused minds don't purchase when we start adding too many options, too many things, then it confuses our buyers and, and they have a hard time making decisions. So they tend not to buy. One of the things we wanna think about is, here you've got this new capability. Do you wanna build that into a good, better, best product line? Or do you wanna build that as an option to your current product lines? The way I tend to think about that is if this new option is valuable to a select set of people, and that select set of people may not correlate directly with the people who would normally buy our best product, then I'm probably gonna make that an option 
instead of building it into one of my products. If a lot of people like it, then I'm probably going to put it into my good, better, best offering someplace. Interesting. Well, this is really interesting. So what else would you, how else could people think about pricing throughout the product life cycle? A couple years ago, a couple years, probably five years ago now, Warren Buffett had an amazing quote. And the quote was, the most valuable thing when evaluating a business is pricing power. Now, here's Warren Buffett saying pricing power is what defines the capability of an entire business. And if you step back to say, what does he mean when he says pricing power? What he's really talking about is differentiation if you're building which one products. Are you building products that are truly different than your competition, better than your competition? And then he's saying, are you building will-I products? Are you building products where there isn't any competition? And so if you changed price, you would still be selling almost as many, if not just as many, if you raised your price. And so this whole concept of pricing power, a few months ago, we did a podcast with Stefan Liosu. And he's doing research now on this concept of pricing power. And he was talking about what drives pricing power. And the, th the big takeaway that I got out of that was differentiation. If you think about a will I product though, a will I product is the ultimate in differentiation because there is no competition. So think about what Warren Buffett says. If you think about your company and what you think you could do to make your company more valuable, it's to build the types of products where you have pricing power. And that means differentiation, will I products and product portfolios that make a lot of sense. I imagine a, a very powerful column, you know, when you're thinking about roadmap and prioritization, if one of the, the aspects that you measured and compared against was just how much the market was willing to pay for that feature, not just a customer who may have a contract writing on it, but, you know, the market as a whole and, and how powerful that could be in helping decide where your development resources should be. Absolutely right. It's, it's very hard to put a dollar value on individual features when product mm -hmm. managers managing features. It's really hard to do that. But here's what's not so hard. If we break it up into higher level market problems, which problems are we really trying to solve, we could determine willingness to pay for people solving those problems. And that would be a good way to package up the features as well so you kind of have a remarkable release. So Mark, this was a great discussion and we talked about lots of different things. If you were going to pick two things that you wanted people to do differently starting tomorrow, right? Based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Well, the first one would be self-serving. I would say everybody should study pricing. <laughs> Learn what does it mean to, to price using value-based pricing, to charge what customers are willing to pay. There's so many different techniques and things you can do. But once you clearly understand pricing, it really does help you build better products. And the other big takeaway, boy, if I had to choose one of them, I guess I'd have to say, differentiate your products, build things that are different than your competition, because that's going to drive you towards more pricing power. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. It was a pleasure to have you, and I hope you'll join us again soon. And thank you all for listening. If you'd like to learn more about pricing and how you can use it to improve your product's performance, check out pragmaticmarketing.com slash pricing for a ton of practical, actionable resources. Until next time, remember, nothing important happens in the office. It's time to get out and talk to the market. <laughs>